Red Sox fans, here are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. Welcome everyone, the Bastards are back for this early week edition of the podcast. We are downloaded in over 30 countries across the globe and available on every major media platform. For everyone listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show if you have not already. Nothing you do will help us more immensely. The Red Sox just wrapped up a rain-shortened two-game set against the Miami Marlins winning both games. They are now one and a half games, I didn't check, against the Tampa Bay Rays, and uh, still in second place. Quick disclaimer, as always, for any first-time listeners, this is not a Homer podcast. We call it how we see it. When the Red Sox are dominating, we will celebrate that. When they are getting destroyed, we will be critical and at times savagely blunt. If you are easily offended, press the stop button immediately. But for those who embrace it, let's get rolling. I am Terry Cushman coming to you from Lewiston, Maine. You can harass me on Twitter at CushmanMLB. You can also find the podcast account at Bastards underscore Boston. Co-hosting with me tonight from the city of Providence, Rhode Island, Charlie Smith. Charlie, how are you? I'm doing very well. Uh, No complaints. Actually, you know, better because the Red Sox in the last eight minutes gained a half a game. We're just one game back, baby. We are one game back. It's just one. I'm feeling good. I thought with Tampa's win today, yeah, I hauled my own pants to the ground by not checking. But um I thought it was a game and a half with the uh, the Phillies game today, but no, it's it's all good, all, right. all good. That those that are uh, oh, I was gonna say for those that are looking that want to cause problems with me, feel free to hit me up on Twitter. It's S M I T H Smith, no trick underscore MLB Smith underscore MLB. Gotcha. And uh, Houston coming up though, so we'll see. <laughs> yeah. Also joining us tonight, she is the host of the Did You Hear podcast, which covers a wide array of sports. She is from Fairfield County, Connecticut. Emma Houghton. Emma, how are you? I'm good, Terry. So happy to be here. Sox are playing well. It's fun to talk about them when they're playing well. Absolutely. And uh, Jason Kelly had something come up, so uh, he should be back with us next week, we're hoping. So... Emma's kind of coming off the bench to uh, help out. So good series to do it. The Red Sox beat the Marlins in both games. One of them was during a monsoon, which was shortened, I think, after six innings, six and a half innings, something like that. And then uh, game two was a bit of a grinder, but they uh, won that one three to one with Nathan Avaldi on the mound. So we will get right into studs and duds. Charlie, you're leading off. Who is your stud for the series? You know, this one, it's it's going to be a surprise and a shock. I'm not saying Rafi Devers for what feels like the 18th time in a row because he's one of the best players in baseball right now. I'm actually going to go, I'm going to go with Alex Verdugo. And Alex Verdugo changed game one uh, when they were playing in the rain. Uh, one pitch, one curveball, one oops, and three runs came across. And that's why we won game um, game one. 
So Alex Verdugo, while he didn't have a great series, he only went uh, one for seven, but that hit made all the difference. It's like Big Poppy in the 2013 playoffs only had two hits against the Tigers, and one of them tied the game. So you know what? I don't care. Call me crazy. Threw and homer that wins a game. Should be uh, valid here. Verdugo, done. Emma, thoughts on Alex Verdugo? He is. The clutch factor is becoming so big. And you're totally right, Charlie, about the one thing. I mean, first of all, about the, the rain game, I don't think I've ever seen a field in such bad conditions. I couldn't believe they let it go so far. So you could basically call Doogie's homer a walk-off homer. That's what it was to me. The fact that Matt Barnes was warming up in the pen in the sixth inning to try and come in. Everybody knew. But I'm I'm really happy with where Verdugo is. It's so nice having him back with fans, too, and at the ballpark. At Fenway, especially, it's so nice seeing him interact with everybody. Yeah, I'm all in on Verdugo right now. And he hasn't quite been the power hitter. I, I thought he might be based on his two months last season. I think he hit five of them, and he's probably right around that right now. But... Uh, I, I thought we'd see a little bit more of an uptick there, but the one impressive thing about him that makes him extremely clutch is he never strikes out, very hardly ever strikes out, and he had a pinch hit situation in a recent series, had the game, I think he was uh, having that hamstring issue going on and a lot of people were upset that Cora was bringing him in over someone else that might have been available. Uh, that might have actually been the game where Bogarts and JD were also, um, you know, having having the game off. And I was telling them, I'm like, he doesn't strike out. He's perfect for this situation. And he came through with a power shot in game one. And you're right about the field conditions because there were deep puddles on the outskirts of the infield and I kept wondering I'm like what if somebody rips a a grounder what's it going to do when it starts hitting those puddles and are are we going to get dinged for errors like I've never seen it but they must have known that Sunday was literally going to be a wash and if they didn't get through it maybe only one of the three games and we don't go to Miami at any point they don't come back it's an interleague series so I think that's why we kind of got <laughs> got forced into it. And I don't know about you guys, but I don't even like watching those games because I feel like the offense just isn't going to be there. The pitching isn't going to be as good. It's like a major distraction to me sitting in my dry living room on my dry couch watching a, an absolute downpour happen on TV. <laughs> it's just not fun to watch. I was thinking about if somebody had to slide. I genuinely can't imagine what would have happened if somebody slid on that infield. The dirt would have been everywhere. Or they yeah, might have hydroplaned. Into second base. Yeah. Oh, yeah, exactly. Uh, they missed second base, and now they're in left field. It would have been brutal. Or what could have happened was they could have let up a, like a giant wave into the second baseman's face, and, you know, he wouldn't have been able to see. So we didn't get to see some, some epic bloopers, but, yeah, so – Emma, go ahead. Your stud for the series. Yeah, so I was between two. One I had to move to honorable mention, but I, you mentioned it before we started recording. It, it was hard to pick one stud and to pick any duds because I do think overall it was a very good series. 
I'm going to go with the Hunter Renfro for my stud. And I think it's specific to this series. And I think if we look back, this is going to be the series where people check things off a box and realize that Renfro was maybe one of the best offseason acquisitions that Bloom made. Game one in the nine spot, which I don't think Renfro has been in all season. Two for two with two runs. And then in game two, back up to the sixth spot. Three for four with a run, one RBI. Pretty sure that was his second three-hit game of the season. Everything's clicking for him. And even though the numbers aren't popping off the page, the batting average is right around 250. continues to go up, though. OPS is right around league average. He's a sneaky good defender. And every single game we get reminded of that. He's getting that clutch factor like we just talked about with Verdugo. And he's good on the base pass. He's just putting the ball in play, and he's also hitting it harder than he ever has in his career. At the beginning of the season, I think we were looking at Renfro and kind of expecting the out. Now he's coming up, and if it's a good pitching matchup for him, I'm expecting him to get on base. So... In 2020 and 2021, literally 8.5% of the United States knew about stocks. Now you have 98% of people in the world who are all about stocks and all about buying the dip and buying the hype. And while he's seven for his last 10, it's cute. I love to see him doing it. And I agree with you, Sneaky Good Defender. I think he's past that because the kid has a rocket. Honestly, I think you need a permit to throw as fast as he does from the outfield because he can throw people out off a no bounce, which is dumb. Um, I'm a little bit nervous to say it, although I love the fact that he's had, I think it's seven or eight multi-hit games uh, this month. He's got a 307 batting average, which is way higher than what he did in April. It's starting to warm up. We all knew what was going to happen when it got warmer. Balls were going to sail a lot farther. And those those deep fly balls are now going to be home runs. I I don't know if I want to buy the hype because I didn't have the stones to say I was going to buy the dip. Those are stock references for those keeping uh, notes and track here. Um, I'm happy to see it. The Sox have won three in a row, but it's going to take a couple more uh, games for, for me to start buying into it. No question, had a fantastic series in two games. When you go five for six, you did your damn job, and no one can take that away from you. But I need to see a little bit more consistency before I call the month of May an anomaly. So kudos, Hunter Renfro. Thank you for doing what you did. Three of those five hits were doubles, and you had an RBI and three runs scored. Thank you, sir. Keep that up. Don't let April happen in June. Thank you. The other thing is that the bottom of the the bottom third of this lineup has been so bad that when you have a guy go seven for ten, it's pretty much like the savior. So maybe that was the recency bias coming in it, there. It makes them look better, that's for yeah. sure. I mean, when you're surrounded by people that aren't hitting. But Terry, what do you think? Well, I haven't been a Hunter Renfro guy. I wasn't a big fan of the signing. You know. We'd get so frustrated with Bradley's slumps, and then now we're going to watch Hunter Renfro slump. But he has been good in spots, and he's been especially good against lefties. So I'm willing to let it ride every time if there's a lefty starter for sure, or if you need a you know a, a defensive replacement late in the game if it's a righty. I, I think ideally that's the best role for him. And he did have a 
uh, two for three game in, in game one against uh, Poteet, who's also a righty. And then, but in game two, he had uh, an even better game, three for four with Trevor Rogers in there, who's been unbelievable this season. Had a, I think a one seven five ERA coming into the game, and um, w- would probably easily be the ace of the Red Sox staff if uh, if he was over here. Not that our starters are, are slouching outside of Rodriguez, actually, but um, so he did have. He did have two good games against two pitchers that were kind of rolling pretty well through the month of May. So um, it's hard to try to put your finger on what Bloom might do at the deadline, but um, I, I'm guessing I'm guessing Renfro is probably still going to see time against righties, but we saw Mitch Moreland hit like 340 last season against only lefties and Renicky was managing and just seemed content to put him in, in those spots. So I'm hoping that's what happens with, with Renfro, but still have to be impressed. Still have to yeah. be impressed. So, I mean, the the crazy thing is against lefties, he destroys everything. He's hitting 340. Against righties, he's hitting barely 200, like barely over. But he's mashing. He's hit more home runs. Granted, he's had more at-bats. But still, I mean, the difference is just astounding. A 130 average difference? That's wild. And the strikeouts, too, like, it's insane. He just, he's not as comfortable against righties. It's, It's insane. The crazy thing to me is that there's always a market for these type of players. He pretty much exactly fit the mold of a Tampa Bay Ray, and then the Rays DFA'd him, which definitely doesn't put a good taste in anybody's mouth. But the Mitch Moreland comp is perfect. He's obviously better in the field than than Mitch is, I think, at first. But there's always going to be a market for that type of player. And when you have the necessary positional depth, which I think right now the Red Sox are kind of in the middle – and it's going to be interesting down the next couple months if Bloom decides to get starting pitching. It's obviously the biggest need, but they do need some bench depth. If that guy's going to be a righty or a lefty, and then you're going to see what type of lineups go out there, because then you got to decide between Marlon, who's a switch, and Bobby and Renfro, and even somebody like Christian Arroyo. But if if Hunter can have one more good month, I think I'm I think I'm buying it. Maybe I'm just more optimistic than you are, Charlie. <laughs> yeah, it takes us a little while to come around, but I think I don't think Renfro's going anywhere. I, I think he'll be here for the the duration of the season, and hopefully for a long time in the month of October. <laughs> if uh, if we get there, we got to hopefully avoid the wild card by beating Tampa. Uh, but we'll see. My stud for the series and. This might be the first time all year he's been picked as a stud because he was an all-star on the dud side for at least the month of April. But I'm going with Josh Taylor. Just quietly been extremely dominant out of the bullpen. Has a 0.00 ERA for the month of May. I think he's only got something like three walks in that span. And 
he's coming in in all different situations. He's coming in with a clean inning and getting out of it. He's coming in with inherited runners and and keeping them from scoring. He could very well be a, a high leverage guy, just a bona fide high leverage guy, even though he's a lefty. So I love what I'm seeing. There's other guys in the pen that are pitching very well and have had very good months as well. So I, I guess it's just good to have a lot of a lot of solid depth that that we currently have. And I put out a tweet earlier. Matt Barnes, 270 for the month of May. Been solid all year. Darwin's and Hernandez, over seven innings over the course of the entire month. 257 ERA. Adam Ottavino has pitched more innings than anybody. 12 innings pitched. A 225 ERA. And he's basically the eighth inning guy, whether Alex Cora wants to put an official label on that or not. Um, so to, to have Barnes in there, uh, excuse me, Taylor in there, uh, quietly just shutting other, you know, lineups down. It's, it's been fun to watch because we were all ready to write him off. He had a couple of bad, uh, appearances the final week of April. I think he gave up one, uh, run and one, and then two earned runs, in the second uh, appearance before finally uh, turning a corner. So um, I like what I'm seeing. I, I'd wear a Josh Taylor jersey. Emma, I'm going to let you go first. I'm still not sure I would wear a Josh Taylor jersey. Neither would I. Thank you. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not totally in yet. I, I think I've had too many scarring experiences so far. But I really like all those bullpen stats you said. And it seems like almost everybody's role has switched. Everybody was talking about Garrett Whitlock. Everybody was talking about Matt Andrees. And now everybody's starting to shift towards Taylor and Ottavino and even uh, Hernandez, who I'm still kind of on the rocks with. I'm just – the question to me is what type of reliever is he going to be? What situation is he going to come in? I think somebody like him will do better if he has a specific role to come into and also if he can get some more depth because going in for a one inning hold is nice, but we don't have a ton of options. Six or seventh. Who's going to go in there and lock it down. If it's Taylor, I'd love that because I do agree that Ottavino, whether Cora, whether fans like it or not, is going to continue to be that eighth inning guy. I agree. I like that he had a good series or really just the one inning, but I want to know who he is and how he's going to be continually in these high leverage situations. Because I think if he can be the high leverage situation guy, then that makes the Red Sox have a much better bullpen. And that can be what separates the Red Sox from the Blue Jays. I still think the the Rays and even the Yankees are above the Red Sox bullpen, but that could be a big factor between the, the Red Sox or the Blue Jays in the playoffs even. So, My thing about Josh Taylor is like he had a good game on paper. He gave up three hits in an inning, struck out two, and 75% of his pitches went for strikes. He cleaned up the sixth and almost blew the door open in the seventh. Adam Ottavino saved this man because Josh Taylor, before that appearance, had been beyond stellar. Like, Craig Kimbrell stellar, like one hit in seven innings allowed stellar. The guy was 
perfect. So I can get behind it a little bit. I don't I don't know if if I buy Hunter Renfro or Josh Taylor yet because we saw Matt Andrews do okay in the month of April and then I don't even know what happened in the month of May. It's like he forgot what his role was. It just is beyond bad. So for that reason alone, I need another month. I can't make a decision on two months unless your name is Raphael Devers and I know you're a stud. I just I can't do it. I just I can't. I Adam Ottavino, if he had blown if he had gotten rocked, Josh Taylor would have gotten rocked. He would have allowed two runs in an inning. He his ERA would have been closer to five. And I don't know if we'd still be talking about him in the same light. I I think very possibly yes, because Josh Taylor in April had like three or four bad games. He hasn't really had he hasn't had one in, in May because he still got out of it. So I, okay, because he didn't allow a run. But I'm still being cautious about buying into it just yet. Well, he, he came into game two with two, uh, with, excuse me, with one out in the inning. And I was a little surprised that it, it ended up being Will Venable managing in Cora's absence. I was kind of surprised he came out for the, for the seventh inning, having, you know, recorded two outs. He hasn't, I think he's gotten four outs one or two times, but I wasn't really a big fan of that. And I also wasn't a big fan of Adam Ottavino coming out in in replacement of of Taylor because he had already labored so bad the night before in the rain and that a lot he had three walks but he couldn't grip the baseball so I'm not going to hold that against him but it was a stressful outing so I don't think You're that right. I don't think that was a very good game uh, managed by Will Venable uh, you know in in Taylor's defense but. Um, both of them pitched fine. And I'll say this about Ottavino. I forget who the first base runner was, but he immediately took second base because Ottavino has one of the was slowest. Sierra? I don't know. But he's got one of the slowest deliveries I've ever seen. So Ottavino needs to be coming in with a clean inning or maybe with two outs in the inning for him to only get one out. Um, I, I don't like how either of them were were utilized uh, there, but but nonetheless, and I'll say this about Taylor as well. He typically, if you look at his game logs from previous seasons, we got him in 2019 in the in the Devin Marrero trade with Arizona, but um, typically not a good starter uh, out of the gates uh, when he, you know, well he came out mid season in 2019, but but was one of the better relievers going down the stretch. And then he had COVID uh, at the start of the shortened season last year. So um, so we'll see. I'm not saying buy a jersey, okay? And he took he took Schilling's number uh, too. So you'd want at least Taylor's name to be on it <laughs> to avoid the confusion. Uh, yeah. You, you know what else? Totally random, totally random. Nobody's worn number 21 since Clemens. You notice that? And his number's not retired. Nobody's worn number 21. And I only... Who's going to wear 21? I don't know. I don't know. But I'm not a Clemens guy, so I'd love to see somebody wear it. But... But Bueller wears I, 21 in, in LA, so that that's what got me thinking. I'm like, geez, there hasn't been a Red Sox 21. So. It's out of respect, I think, to some degree. I mean, do you, do you remember the backlash that Martin Perez got when people thought he was actually going to rock 33? 
they're like no yeah, this you can't happen. do that you can't do you that you can't do that no, right no but it was just a, a someone made a, a gaffe allegedly i mean we'll never know i mean it, it, maybe he did want 33 and everyone's like no 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 bad press is like oh okay no no just kidding that's not what i actually wanted I mean, dave, dave bush took papelbon's number i noticed pitching coach he wears number 58 so that's yeah. fine anyway just a, a little bit of freestyling there uh, some honorable mentions to get to J.D. Martinez, uh, four for seven over the two games, drove in a couple of runs in game one. Devers, his normal three for seven self, um, just continues to be a force. Uh, and that that's about it for the lineup. Uh, Martin Perez, five innings pitched, gave up five hits, two earned runs, walked nobody, struck out four. Nathan Ivaldi, that's his second or third good start in a row. Uh, five and one third, only gave up four hits, zero earned runs, one walk, seven strikeouts. He was like lighting them up. He got six of those strikeouts fast, and then he was getting uh, more outs on contact. But uh, and then literally the entire bullpen. I I have. I have two columns, and this is the first time all season I don't have anybody in the bad column. Like, we did not have one bad pitching outing from anyone. So, uh, just some of the best pitching we've had uh, this year. Would have been nice to see Erod get his start in today against Miami, but he's going to face Correa and company uh, tomorrow in the Memorial Day game. But any thoughts on the honorable mentions? I just wanted to mention Ottavino because of the situation. The, the the command is an issue, and Terry, you mentioned it's because of the weather in part. He had a walk in the second game, too. But I like Ottavino going in there and just getting it done. And with the fans behind him, that was a cool moment in the second game. I think it was the seventh inning. I don't think it was in the eighth inning, which he's usually coming on. But Right, it was. You're right. Yeah, I, I just liked seeing him get things done. He's had a ton of bad ton of bad addings where he just he wears it on his sleeve right he really wears his emotions on his sleeve but i think he got some of the fans back this weekend a little bit more trust and he can go in there and he can get hitters out with that slider and i also i would have liked to see a little bit of uh more just longevity from perez the pitching matchup between evaldi and trevor rogers was legit rogers is my nl mvp and it's actually, been, I think it's between him and Jazz Chisholm who didn't play this series, which stinks because Jazz is electric. But that pitching matchup for Avaldi to go out there and look as good as he did, I was really impressed by that. And he, it's in, it's day in and day out for him now. But that was a serious pitching matchup, and I think Avaldi won it. Yeah. So, um, Ottavino, I mean, the fire that he had when he came off the mound when he struck out Cooper on a slider, and it was. I just remember watching it like, oh my God, that just happened. And he had fire. It, the uh, Adam Ottavino with that fire reminded me of Joe Kelly. I don't know why, but the first person I thought of was, oh my God, Joe Kelly Fight Club. Like there's going to be an Adam Ottavino Fight Club. I'm going to buy that shirt. I'll buy that shirt before a Josh Taylor jersey. Yes, he's wearing 38. I don't <laughs> care. But I will totally buy an Adam Ottavino Fight Club shirt. If if someone goes to challenge Adam Ottavino, you're going to be going back in a wheelchair. I just feel like that's the type of fire this guy has. If, if he's starting to really sling it, we could see. Do you remember that level of that air cockiness when he was like, "Yeah, I could strike out Babe Ruth every single time." I was like, "What a 
dummy. Like, what a jerk. And now, he, now he's on our team. I, I still am like, mm, you're not going to strike out Babe Ruth every single time. But I'll take the fire every day that ends in wine twice on Sunday. I, I'm expecting a little bit of a regression because his stuff is so hard to command. Like, to, to expect that at that level for another four months and hopefully five, I just – I'm skeptical. I, I like to see it, and I know it. Sure. it's, it's kind of – it's got to frustrate Yankees fans right now. They they have more problems in their rotation than their bullpen. But um, I yeah, but we'll, we'll take it. We'll take it. I mean, arguably you can say Taylor a little bit unsettled. We still don't know what we have in Salamora yet, but he's trending the right way. He got fired up when he got the final out of that inning, and I wish whatever he said. I wish we know whatever he said in Japanese because you could put that on a shirt and it would be the most marketable saying in Boston. Like it would be the best selling shirt if uh, if you could get it. But I love it. Every one of these guys, Darwinson comes off the mound. He's fired up. Everybody out of that bullpen gets fired up. And, and that's what I love to see. Yeah, man. So let's uh, switch to the duds side of the spectrum. I'm looking forward to this one. Charlie, who's your dud? Oh, goodness gracious. So I want everyone to be sitting down. It's like a best man speech. Some to I'll be giving later this year. Uh, Bobby Dahlbeck is my dud. And before anyone starts to throw middle fingers up and cuss me out, because, I mean, it's not the worst thing I've ever heard or seen. Two for four, pair of singles, an RBI, and a couple of strikeouts. The sixth inning at bat, I went off. I literally went off. And it took less than a breath for one of my uh, colleagues, one of my peers, to go off at my going off. Because I just don't get how you can defend someone that didn't swing at balls out of the zone and like 20 inches in front of the plate, but flailing. It didn't even look like he cared that he was swinging. It was awful. So with that being said, in the month of April, he he went 15 for 70 with a 214 batting average and struck out 25 times, 35.5% strikeout rate. The following month, he's had one less hit and one less at-bat. Yes, he's had four more. He's had four home runs and 17 RBIs. Same number of doubles. He still had four, four walks. He's walking less and he's striking out more. How much more you ask? I'm a metrics person. 20% more. That terrifies me. That's too many. We're talking about the fact that Alex Verdugo doesn't strike out as much. 54 strikeouts in two months for Bobby Dahlbeck is almost the same number of strikeouts that Alex Verdugo has all of last year and this year combined. That hurts. When you strike out that many times, you hurt your team. Four of the last five times, you struck out two or more times. Eight games in May, you struck out twice or more. And then before this two-hit performance, you were 0 for 11. And you had eight strikeouts. So giving you the two for 15, 
you still have 10 strikeouts out of your last 15 at-bats. You strike out 67% of the time. You're almost a guaranteed out. So I cannot and will not get behind him. I'm still salty that they sent down my boy Michael Chavis because I don't think he's still got a fair chance. And those that are supporting Bobby Dahlbeck, you guys are really cute. But I'm sorry. This is not going to be the answer. And no, Albert Pujols wasn't the answer. Jason, I agree on that later on. But this is not the answer. This is just a whole boatload of no. Emma, your turn. I almost want to give that a moment of silence because that was so well said. That just needs to sit for a second. (laughs) Uh, He's completely lost. Bobby Dahlbeck is completely lost. It's Frenchie Cordero levels. And I never expect anyone to get to that level. I'm saying it. I'm saying it. Bobby Dahlbeck is a liability. And I firmly believe that if you don't have a halfway decent bottom third of the lineup, your team cannot hang. The bottom third of this lineup, when Dahlbeck and Cordero were the options, was bottom five in the league. It can't happen. Chavis has looked so good. And I actually was thinking about this the other day. Chavis and Dahlbeck had eerily similar starts to the show. They crushed the the breaking ball, high fastballs, couldn't get on top of it. They hit like seven or eight home runs, and then nothing happened. And I was down on Chavis. But seeing what he did this offseason, seeing what he did in the few games that he was here, the hustle, the energy, everything about his attitude, Bobby doesn't have that. And I haven't heard Bobby speak that much. But I think he needs some time down in Worcester to rediscover himself and in the meantime, it can't possibly get worse if Chavis gets up. We about this on the last show, and uh, Andrew and Job kind of disagreed with me, but I'd send him down. I really would because I don't think he has a future with this organization. Costas is going to be up. I still think he's going to be up this season. S- some of our co-hosts don't agree with that, but he'll be up next season. And you got Devers on the other corner, or maybe he's going to be at DH, who knows. But there's just no future for Bobby Dahlbeck in Boston, and he can only hit lefties. And I know Trevor Rogers is one of the best lefties in MLB right now, so it's hard to really ding him for for not getting a hit against him. But there was one ball that was in the dirt, like five feet in front of him, and he still swung. So it, it was pretty painful. He had a nice stretch there in the Baltimore-Oakland-Toronto series. He went something like 9 for 36, three dingers. I started to drink the punch a little bit, and I resist the punch. It takes me a long time to order punch. Uh, <laughs> and I was starting to have a sip, but he he offered in five of the last six games. He's an automatic out. And I I would just rather see Chavis up here. And for everybody who hates Chavis, fine, fine. Put Danny Santana at first base and let's let it ride. Because Bobby Dahlbeck is, is not the answer. Hunter Renfro is still going to struggle against righties at some point. So you, you got those two at the bottom. I don't know. 
we'll get into a couple other players here shortly, but, um, but yeah, so I think, I think what he has shown us, and I'm, I'm reiterating this from, from last episode, he's shown teams enough as far as the power goes. He's hit some long balls. If he can go down to Worcester and start tearing the cover off the ball and we leave him there until July, you probably get something nice in in return if he's part of a package in July. And I think by doing that, you're going to get the most value that you'll get out of Bobby Dahlbeck. If you wait until July of 2022, I think his value is a lot lower. So I, I, that's the that's the the path I would take with Dahlbeck, and if he ends up being a stud for another team in a year or two, I can live with it. We're living with the Benintendi thing right now. We're living with it. Okay, okay, yeah, he's back to his old form, but we've got a nice pitching prospect in Double A right now, Winchowski or however he pronounces it, and we've got some more. Uh, prospects uh, still to be named later, which must be coming up uh, pretty soon, actually. But I can live with Bobby Dahlbeck mashing for another team because you know what? We're going to watch Casas do the same thing anyway. So um, so go ahead, Emma. Who's your who's your dud for the series? One last thought on that. You know oh, who God. needs a first baseman who strikes out a lot but sometimes hits home runs? The New York Yankees. <laughs> you want to get And up? I would be fine if Bobby D went there. <laughs> so my dud is Kike Hernandez. And I I love Kike. I think he is the perfect guy to be on the Red Sox energy wise. His personality fits right in. I was super excited about him. Thought he was going to be playing second base, as I'm sure many of us did. And he's getting the majority of his starts in center field. Very versatile on defense. No qualms there. I'm done with Kike in the leadoff spot. And that's where my biggest, where I have the biggest problem. So in this specific series, game one, 0 for 2. He did have a walk. He struck out. Game two, 0 for 4. His season totals, he, his batting average is 245. He spent some time in the IL. Looked pretty hot in Worcester. Was expecting big things for him. Thought it would turn around. His line right now is 245, 299, 411. I don't know if you can reasonably explain a leadoff hitter with an on-base percentage below 300. It doesn't come straight to my head who the option is. Like, they tried Santana. Verdugo has made it very clear he doesn't like leading off. But it's become desperate enough, in my opinion, that you put Verdugo there, and then you move everybody down. You put Kike in the seven, six or seven spot, and you see how it works. It's not like we mentioned at the beginning. It's not like Verdugo has crazy good numbers right now so try him in the leadoff spot and see how he does kike does not have a good command of the strike zone right now you can't have a guy flailing at pitches the way kike does i want to see him in a different spot of the lineup and see if somebody else can get on base at a higher clip than kike does i i can absolutely get behind that emma and um you know, you hit on something, you know, while he doesn't excel in the one hole, he definitely has earned the right to be in the lineup. And if he's not in the one hole, he's not going to be scoring runs. He's four for his last 24. That's not good. That's a 143 batting average. He has no home runs, no RBIs, no extra base hits since the Toronto series. And that's when he had a home run. That was his only extra base hit. 
He's only had three or four this whole month. Um, it's it's just not it's just not enough. It's not sustainable. And I mean, I think the one big thing that is keeping uh, Kike relevant is the fact that he can play multiple positions. Two forty five is not a good batting average for a for a leadoff guy. And uh, Verdugo's expressed that he's, I mean, he'll do it, not going to like it. I don't think Mookie Betts wanted to bat in the one hole, but he still did it. And if he doesn't like it, then what What could it hurt to put Xander Bogarts in the one hole, make him the new Mookie Betts, get him to get on base. Lord knows he can do it when no one's on. He doesn't like to hit when people are on base. Put him in the one hole and then let's figure out how to get him in. Because if Verdugo can get those clutch hits every once in a while, knock him in that way, I'm cool with it. I, I don't like Xander Bogarts with men in scoring position. I don't like Xander Bogarts with anyone on base. It just it doesn't feel right. It feels dirty. He can't do it. He likes it when it's a it's like no one's on base. So I can hit it wherever and I can get wherever. That's how I feel about him. But the absolute fair call. Over six in the series hasn't done anything for really two series now. So yeah, I'm down for that. Emma just basically basically corroborated everything I've been saying about Hernandez all season. And I, I think I've been the toughest on him of anyone. His career stats, I mean, he's hitting worse than what his career stats were. And even if he was right on par with those, that's not a leadoff guy. It's not. And the painful thing about it is, and I've mentioned this a few times, he's always behind in the count. He's, it's 0-1, 0 for 2. He's got to grind his way back. Most of the time he doesn't. And it's the same vicious cycle. And and you guys are right. There is no, there is no perfect solution right now. Maybe, maybe that's what we have to have in mind as we get to the, the trade deadline, identify a decent leadoff guy. If Duran catches fire, he's got the makeup of a leadoff guy. Typically those guys go into the eight or nine hole. So I, I don't know how realistic that's going to be for this year, but, uh, but with an eye towards the future, I, I think that's how it's going to be. It's going to be Duran and, and Verdugo uh, in those spots, but if we can acquire somebody, Kike Hernandez fits perfectly in that bottom third of the order. He's not going to be an automatic out. He's gonna he's gonna get on base and he's gonna do enough. And he's probably not going to have a lot of pressure on him either. I, I don't know if if that will be a benefit as well. But um, not a leadoff guy. O for six, like Emma said. And I love the signing. I love the versatility as much as everybody else. You know, he he's more like Brock Holt. He's not Jacoby Ellsbury, <laughs> you know. So um, that's just never going to be a reality. But my dud for the series, and it's not that he was particularly terrible, he was 0 for 1, drew a walk, but I'm going for going with Marwin Gonzalez. This is a guy who's probably going to be playing for another team if he doesn't if he doesn't find some offense here because he's been disappointing. He he should be a guy in the bottom third of the order that that should be steady. 
And I get that he sees five, six, seven pitches per at bat and he grinds away. That's good, but he's been hovering right around uh, the Mendoza line. He doesn't walk a lot either. Um, You have Arroyo who has had issues staying on the field his entire career. Missed a number of games this year. Santana looks okay, but we don't know. We don't know who he is. Bloom's going to have to make a difficult decision. And if that decision happened tomorrow, I think Marwin Gonzalez is uh, DFA'd. And so he, he's got to pick it up. And I, I like him a lot. He's had some big moments in the month of October with uh, the Astros. And I, I know, I know. But still, you know, you want a guy who can handle the moment in, in those situations. And I don't think anybody saw Steve Pierce having the run he had. And Marwin's basically the same makeup of, of a Steve Pierce type guy. So they're good guys to have around, but not not if he's performing like this. So Charlie, thoughts on um, Marwin? I mean, Franchi got as long as he did. So <laughs> yeah, right. Bobby's getting as long as he did. So. <laughs> That's true. I mean, Marwin Gonzalez is younger than, at the very least, two of the three of us. Uh, I'm not going to ask you how old you are, Emma. Don't worry about it. Uh, he are, Marwin's playing like he's older than Albert Pujols. <laughs> it's just, it's kind of sad. Because Albert Pujols, we don't really know how old he is. He might be 50. But he might be 41. Who knows? Who cares? Marwin Gonzalez was also brought to this team because of his like Swiss Army knife ability. Guess what? Unless someone's banging on a trash can... You're not hitting anything. You're hitting 199 with one home run. You're one for your last 17. What are you doing? Uh, If we're going to be giving him the same amount of rope that we've given half of the lineup, then, hey, guys, listen, June's going to be real exciting for all the wrong reasons because Marwin Gonzalez is going to be hitting 136 with one home run on the season. And maybe if we're lucky, he might get his 10th RBI in the year. But I, I mean, this is this was a this is a bad signing. This is another bad signing by Bloom. I mean, he's not had just one or two. There have been a few, and this one unfortunately just didn't hit. So I mean, you feel bad, and yes, he's had great he's had great moments in the past. But it almost kind of felt like we were signing him based on past performance, and that's why we gave Steve Pierce like a thank you contract. That was a waste of money. This was a waste of – Gonzalez got what, $3 million? I think it was $3 Something million like this that. year. Yeah. Yeah, that yeah. was that's a that's a $3 million donation. Like I, I just – I can't get behind it. I mean that was – that's a 0 for 1 with a run and a walk. It's going to be the highlight of his month. Like he probably did more damage in that game than he's going to do all next month. And you're right. I, I don't think he's going to be in Boston. I don't think he's going to be on another team. I think he's going to be DFA and he's just going to sit there. And that'll be it. Like his career will end on a DFA. He actually only has three extra base hits on the whole season as well. I mean, we've seen Devers do that in one game. So, um, yeah, he's he's definitely got to uh, get it together. Uh, as far as uh, dishonorables, I mean, it's hard to 
it was a bad weather series. There were only two games. The the only real notable one that I think's worth touching on is Bogarts was 0 for 7 and then only 1 for 6 in the Atlanta series, which was also two games. So 1 for 13. It's hard to, you know, trash bogey, but hopefully this is a short slump and not a long one. Yeah, he, he honestly, he goes through slips and slides, and Martinez does the same thing. I don't put much stock in that. Just to put a bow on, on the Marwin discussion, I think at the time his positional flexibility made him valuable. And I think that was why he had a market. As time went on, the Red Sox had more options. Kike became the positional versatility guy. Christian Arroyo can play a couple different positions. Danny Santana now can play a couple different positions. The, the thing is that for Gonzalez specifically, his career has been on de- in a decline since 2017, when uncoincidentally the Astros were s- stealing signs. In her in Kike Hernandez's case, he wasn't an everyday player in LA, so it, I don't think it's fair for Red Sox fans to expect him to come in and be in the everyday leadoff spot and produce. He didn't do that in LA. Marwin Gonzalez didn't do that in Minnesota two seasons ago. So I think there we've had our expectations tempered a little bit because these guys aren't performing, but we shouldn't have really ever thought that they were going to. And I don't know. I I still think Gonzalez can have flashes. I think he can have good series way on way early on in the series. This lasted for, for probably a day. I thought maybe he could be a candidate for that leadoff spot. I've quickly regretted ever thinking that, obviously. But I think he can have flashes where maybe he's the eight hitter. And he can strike out less than Dahlbeck or Cordero. But that's pretty much the ceiling right now. And I, I misspoke. Charlie uh, corrected me. He has 10 uh, extra base hits, not three. But I will say only two since May 8th. So it's been a bad uh, recent run anyway. Uh, and fair enough with Bogey. He's going to come around and... I mean, he's a top three or four MVP guy right now. Anyway, some people might might even put him higher than that, especially with Trout uh, going to be on the shelf for at least uh, one more month. So uh, we'll see. June's a tough month as far as uh, matchups go. So I've been saying for several shows now, once we get through the month of June, we know who we are because we'll have faced a lot of tough teams and the Yankees uh, finally uh, for a couple series uh, by then as well. So let's get into the. I thought we we're going to bash the Yankees, but we're on, we're around the fifty minute mark, so we'll just wrap with the um, with the Astros preview. Uh, Eduardo Rodriguez goes game one. Charlie, do you have the matchups up or no? I got them up. I can tell oh, them. Yeah, go just start with the first one. Yeah, so it's it's Erod versus Jose Urquidy. Urquidy, okay, one. gotcha. So, what we're looking for here, obviously, and it's going to be a tough team to do that with. We need Rodriguez to go five or six solid innings. Hopefully, not get slapped around for close to double digits hits. We want to see him be a lot more efficient than. Um, you know, games fast. Charlie, you're not on mute, but that's okay. <laughs> we made we made it to the 15 minute mark. Um, 
So yeah, that's what I'm expecting from Erod, but I'm I can't really I can't really pick the Red Sox in game one and this I gotta go with face value here. He's looked terrible. The velocity's coming up, so hopefully that translates into something, but Astros are gonna take game one. Emma, what are your thoughts? The Astros score almost seven runs a game against lefties. Oh, today they put up seven on Sunday. They put up seven against Blake Snell in three innings. Even if Erod was in a really good stretch, I would give this game one to the Astros. I think they, I think Erod might get shelled. They just, their, their righties are so lethal. They have one of the best top five, top six in the majors. In my opinion, Bregman, Correa, Altuve, they're out. They're all so good. Kyle Tucker's playing much better. And if your Don Alvarez is back, he is, He's been hurt for the past couple of days. Not an IL stint, but I think against lefties, they are just too good. Nobody can throw past them right now. I agree, and I apologize. I thought I was muted earlier. Um, I I don't think Erod's going to do well again. I'm actually very nervous because um, I hope we're not seeing what could be a shutdown of Erod based on the fact that I still don't think he's 100%. I said at the beginning of the year, I didn't think he was 100%. I don't think many players that had to deal with myocarditis or any even remotely close medical issue would be doing as much as he's doing right now. And we are expecting the world of someone that could have had a career-ending health injury. Um, I just, I don't, I don't see it, unfortunately. And, you know, I... I wish I could say more confidently that, you know, we'll have a chance, but it's at Houston and I don't trust them. And I do trust their starter. I don't trust ours. So a loss in game one. Game two, we have Garrett Richards against Luis Garcia, who has kind of taken a lot of people by surprise, kind of emerged once uh, Valdez went on the um, disabled list with his elbow issues. Um, he's a righty, so I, I'm I'm comfortable. I'm not a – Emma doesn't know this, but Charlie and I, not, not big fans of the Richard signing when it happened. Um, yeah, kind of – we, we kind of had our little uh, group chat meltdown. Uh, but been absolutely phenomenal, and his Richards his his walks are up a little bit, um, but has been steady and has been going six seven innings uh, in recent games, and I th- I think I think the Red Sox win game too. I agree. I don't know if you guys know this off of the top of your heads. Do you know what what teams Richard's last starts came against? If you don't know off the top of your head, it's okay. I don't think it's been great competition. It's been Atlanta, Red- Toronto. Well, Toronto's pretty tough. I mean, that one. Yeah, actually, pretty- those two lineups are, are some of the best the Red Sox have faced so far. Atlanta's a little low, but. Right. And Richard's got into the seventh inning against Toronto. Yeah. This time. Because the time that I saw Garrett Richards, he pitched like an eight-year-old. 
and he yeah. walked six guys in four and two thirds innings. And that was terrible. He was at that game. Yeah. I went to that game and I, I, I wanted to go play in traffic. It yeah, was that, that bad. That had to lower your, uh, your, your thoughts on the signing. He's, he's been very good of late and the length is right. what makes me fall in love with a pitcher. Seven uh, innings I'm with you. is amazing. And he's, yeah. Been the thing I'm actually excited for June because as Terry said, we're going to finally see what this Red Sox team is when the Red Sox and the Yankees play each other. We will finally have some merit to what we talk about. Red Sox Astros, the same thing. They've got the Jays. They've got Atlanta, you know, Tampa Bay is going to be another good series. I'm excited. And uh, going back to the specific matchup, Richards versus Garcia, the Astros needed somebody to step up and Garcia has been that guy I, agree. I think the key. I think the the key. This entire series is if the Red Sox offense can match the Astros, which is a big ask. The other thing, Garcia does not have a lot of length. One of the biggest weaknesses that the Astros have is their bullpen. If the Red Sox offense can get can be okay with the starters, they're not going to get Granky, which I think is a plus. McCullers is hurt, which I think is a plus. Framo right. Valdez and Jake Odorizzi are just coming off IL stints. They're still kind of wild cards. If they do well and the Red Sox can get past them with minimal damage, I think they can beat up on the Astros bullpen. And I, I give them a win in game two. So I'll, I'll say this much. Um, Luis Garcia, side note, just got picked up by my dad in fantasy. Number two, which is funny because he's not starting yet. But number two, Luis Garcia kind of reminds me of Nate Evaldi. Luis Garcia strikes out a lot of guys. But by the end of the fifth inning, he's thrown 100 pitches. If he can work on that a little bit more, I can totally see this cat throwing six-plus innings, 100, 105 pitches. Maybe he only strikes out six instead of seven or eight or nine guys. I'm okay with that as a starter because I think if Luis Garcia goes six-plus innings, we'd lose this game. If he goes under six, I think the Red Sox win this game. I don't know if he's even gone over six the entire season. I don't think he has. Luis Garcia? Yeah. Luis Garcia went six innings in his last game. He only gave up two hits. It was dumb. I, I literally, I was, it was, and it was against the Dodgers too, which is yeah, really good. It's, line. it's the Dodgers. So, um, it was the longest he'd ever gone. Uh, he's had three decent starts in a row. It's, it's just the pitch count. The, the, the pitch count is really high. Nate Avaldi threw 101 pitches in his last game. He went just over, what was it, five innings? And that was it. Yeah. He struck out seven guys. He struck a five in the first two innings. He was already at almost 40 pitches in two innings. You can't live on that. Wheeler, Zach Wheeler, who pitches for the Phillies, also had 71 of 101 pitches go for strikes in his last appearance. He pitched seven innings and struck out 14 guys. 14! And he threw the same number of pitches. Twice the strikeouts, went two extra innings. They're just not efficient. They need to work on efficiency, and, and you mentioned it. You can't go five innings and survive in the majors. You need to be going six plus. And if you can go seven, oh my God, it's a diamond in the rough. And Luis Garcia went six strong against the Dodgers. Terry? Well, it could be a low scoring game, you know, but Richards has been pretty steady the, the last several times out. And Emma may, makes a good point. The the competition outside of his last couple of starts hasn't been great. And, and I've said recently, I want to see him on the mound at Yankee Stadium in a high-pressure situation against a hot lineup and see how he handles that. Because I think 
we can start having an eye towards October at this point. I know it's early and and we're in for a tough month, but if we come out of it looking pretty good, this is an October baseball team. And I think we're I think we're gonna have to play a wild card game because I picked the Rays to win the division and they're playing extremely well. So um but I wanna see Richards in some some high profile matchups and this is going to be at minute made. So that's a good test. And that crowd is going to be electric, you know, for, for the Astros. And a lot of guys are having pretty good years and we'll move on to the next series, uh, next game in the series. Now I actually didn't realize Valdez had come back. So he's, he's made one start. Um, I, I thought he was going to be out for a while, and then I, I wasn't even sure he was going to, you know, still end up being healthy. But he uh, he is coming off of a uh, pretty uh, good outing. But um, so that's the Nick Pavetta start, right? I was uh, yeah. So Pavetta's going to go. Yeah, Pavetta's going to go against um, Valdez, and Pavetta's gone five plus in the last seven starts. He also hasn't lost a game all year. We have no reason to believe that he has a chance at losing it, except for the fact that he's facing Valdez. Now, the difference is Valdez is a better pitcher. I think on on paper, I think Valdez scares me more. The difference is, what's his pitch count going to be? What What is he going to be limited to? Because if Nick Pavetta ends up going 100 pitches... I call that a standard start in May. He's thrown 100 plus in three three games this year, three or four, and three of them have been in May. He threw over 100 against the Braves, and it, it's not like he was laboring. He still struck out nine, which I'm pretty sure is a season high. Um, I I don't know what Framber is going to be allowed to do. He, he I think his limit was 75. I'm guessing it was 75 this time. He might have 80, 85. If they can get to him early, Pavetta's going 7-0. So I'll start with Pavetta, and then I'll go... I mean, I'll start with Valdez, and then I'll go to Pavetta. This could turn dangerous, too, because the way the Astros did it in Valdez's first start, which was also a weird thing. Terry, I thought it seemed like everything was leaning towards Valdez potentially being out for the year. Right. And then he was out for under two months, so it was just kind of strange. They did a Valdez and then Christian Javier split. And Christian Javier was a starter in Valdez's absence. Those two guys together can be dangerous. If they're taking up seven or the eight innings, that's tough. That's basically two top echelon starters that the Red Sox offense is going to come up against. I don't know if you guys have talked about this before. I am hoping that the second shoe never drops for Nick Pavetta. I cannot believe it hasn't happened yet, but that that trade was an absolute steal. It was actually magic. I have no idea how it happened. I am so happy the Red Sox have Pavetta. And this is another test. Every single matchup is a test in this series, and it's the same thing against the Yankees. How is Nick Pavetta going to do against these Astros hitters? I'm hoping it's it's well. I, I think he has shown that he can that he can hang, that he can really pitch in these high-leverage types of games. But this is when we're really going to know. And unfortunately, I think if he gets shelled, it's going to potentially start a decline that would be very disappointing based on how well he started. 
we have talked about the trade and how it's been one of the best trades in, in recent memory. And and we got Workman back. So not only did we get the haul we got, we got one of our guys back. Yeah. So and Henry was terrible. So you just got rid of Henry for the sake of getting rid of him. Yeah, absolutely. Although he has been pretty good uh, with the Reds. Uh, Jason Kelly has been pointing that out for a couple of shows, but I, I'm I wasn't a believer in Pavetta. I just was hoping he could hold up the back end of the rotation. But he's been an ace. He's been on this unbelievable undefeated run, and I'm at the point now where I'm like, he should get the absolute crap kicked out of him by this lineup. He has no business shutting these guys down, but he might do it. He might do it, and and I'm here for it, and I'm rooting for it. So we'll see. I I think against the Braves, he gave up, what, four runs? He didn't look too good. Or, or was that the outing before? Clearly, I have nothing up. I uh, normally have them written down. But um, but I'm just, I'm just excited to watch Nick Pavetta. I just want to see it. it. He's my favorite guy to watch just because you don't really know what you're going to get, but usually you're pleasantly surprised. And... Um, his strikeouts have been up, uh, in recent games. I mean, he's striking out eight, nine batters, uh, the last few outings. So, um, we'll see. I, you know what? To hell with it. I'm picking Pavetta. <laughs> I mean, I'm going with face value here. Um, you know, Altuve's had a good year. Correa has had a good year. Uh, I think Alvarez is still hurt, but, um, but that's that's a lineup that's still very dangerous uh, in Houston. I don't know if they're going to win the West because Oakland is pretty solid as well. So um, they did drop two games, though, out of three to the Padres uh, coming into the series. The Astros did. So maybe we'll catch them. But then again, Erod's pitching tomorrow anyway. But But put me down for a win in game three. Good with that. All right. So game four must be Martin Perez against, oh, Jake Odorizzi, who I'm also surprised is back because he had um, a forearm strain, which is usually a precursor to Tommy John. And a lot of people thought Valdez was going to have it. Like that was like the initial reports. So it's crazy to me that these two guys are coming back and Odorizzi uh, pitched five and a third uh, his last time out only gave up one run and I think like three or four hits. So, uh, and that's the guy I wanted uh, instead of uh, Richards. I, I would have settled for Taiwan Walker as well, but, um, but yeah, so I'll get to, I'll get to stick it to Andrew if uh, he goes on a good run, but, um, but yeah, anyway, so Emma, so what are your, what are your thoughts on that matchup? Charlie, I'll let you go for. I'll okay. let you go first. You're just jumping. No, ladies first. Right I now. insist. I feel like we've <laughs> cut you off. Now you go first. No, I, 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 I'm going to steal your thought from before. I really think it comes down to what type of leash both Valdez and Odorizzi are going to be on, because I really think that this bullpen is a weakness, and I think the Red Sox hitters can tear apart this off the the bullpen. Excuse me. Odorizzi looked really good. Valdez looked pretty good. Javier is good if he's going to be there too, guy. Perez is also a lefty. I, I don't have. I I've, I never really have a lot of confidence in Perez in terms of being 
lights out or dominant or any sort of words that describe some of the other guys. I'm, I'm going to forever laugh at what you said about Pavetta, Terry. That is so good that he has no business pitching this well, but somehow he just continues to go out there and do it. That's perfect. Accurate. But uh, I think the Red Sox can take three or four. I think if their offense comes out, even in Perez's uh, game, if Odorizzi doesn't have a good night, the Red Sox can capitalize on that. Emma, you and I sound a lot like Andrew, and it's starting to scare me. Uh, but I think they can win three out of four, too. Um, I want to say it again, because I've said it multiple times before. I wanted absolutely no part, unequivocally no part, of Jake Odorizzi. <laughs> he didn't. I so. wanted no part of this man. He wanted, hey, who he, did you want, though? Tell Emma who you wanted. I wanted Christian Yelich, and it <laughs> no, didn't happen. No. And no, 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 no. I wanted Corey Kluber yeah. <laughs> since day one. And then when he threw the no-hitter, I asked Andrew, freestyle for him, and I said, who had the better start? And the response wasn't Corey Kluber. It was Garrett is still through six innings. Like, no, you didn't answer the question, whatever it was. He threw a no-hitter. And there's been, like, 26 no-hitters this year. It's stupid. Well, it's four or five. But still, it's just it's priceless that the guy that I wanted threw a no-hitter for the team that I can't stand. A little frustrating. I understand that he wanted to go to New York because he had a buddy there and whatever. I get it. I still wanted no part of Jake Odorizzi. I think the man was going to get overpaid, and he's garbage. And so far this year, Jake Odorizzi has not disappointed. Only one game has he allowed no hits and no runs. He threw five pitches and a third of an inning. Garbage. This man is not going to do well. If Martin Perez can have that leash extended to like 85, maybe 90 pitches, I can see him going six plus innings because he goes five innings and throws 70 pitches. He goes six innings, throws 79. Why is he not going a little bit further? What are we doing? Give him the chance to make believers out of us in him because Perez day is just like a, eh, we might we'll, we're praying for five and no more than like three runs allowed. I'm okay with Martin Perez giving six plus three runs allowed. I'm a little bit better with that than five and three. So let's see what can happen. That being said, three out of four for Boston in Houston doable. Uh, yeah, I don't – Perez has had starts where he's really had to grind this year, and, and he's done a good job keeping us in games. I don't know that that'll happen in, in Houston. But I'll join the party and say three out of four anyway. I mean, maybe maybe our hitting just goes off and, and it, it won't matter. And our bullpen's in a good spot right now, so we could get some holds in those late innings, especially um, – you know, with guys like Taylor, Ottavino, um, although they do hit lefties pretty well, apparently. But uh, so we will wrap on that. We kind of went over tonight. That's probably the most time we've spent on a series preview, but it is a marquee matchup, one that could possibly be an October preview. So uh, be a fun series to watch. I think it's a 4-10 start tomorrow. Uh, with Rodriguez. So for the listening audience, we'll be back in 24 hours for Hot Take Tuesday and then the regular show on Thursday night with Andrew and Joe. Take care.